0: There we go. All right. If you have your Bibles, please please turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, where we have begun uh, walking our way through this text uh, several weeks ago. And we're going to continue to do so today as we're going to be looking at chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. I've entitled this message, uh, How to Share the Gospel. Uh, sounds pretty simple. Uh, and I hope that it has come out that way. It's not simplistic. But I pray that it will will, will sound very simple. Here, here's the, the thing. When we talk about sharing the gospel, and this is not a new subject, is it? We, we've labored over this as a church, as an uh, evangelical church especially. It's it's something that, that ranks way up there in our uh, corporate desire, and that is to be uh, proclaimers of the gospel. Not just in these few moments on Sunday morning behind a pulpit, but... As as those who are the church going out into the world, this is this is our calling, this is our our joy, our great privilege. But uh, along the way, you know, it's a great struggle. You know, we we have those who make up the church who range from young, very immature believers to those who are very mature believers, and everything in between. Um, But regardless of where you fall on that scale, and that's not an age thing, that's that's, that's where we have come to know Christ and grown in our faith, um, the message, the gospel, what we are to share doesn't change. It's the same for the brand new believer as it is for the very mature believer, and that's a good thing. Uh, but along the way, because of this variety, we, we, we think through and have over the years, how do we uh, enable or equip uh, people, believers in our church to better communicate the gospel? And, and as a result, you know, we, we've come up with ways to help us as individuals to, to think through the gospel now. My goal this morning is not to to deal with those. And by those, I mean, you've, you've heard of them years ago. Those of you have been Southern Baptists for a long time, uh, uh, the, uh, C, the CWT, Christ, Christian Witnessing Training, that was a, a program in the Southern Baptists, and then that kind of gave way to Evangelism Explosion or EE, and, and, and that's kind of given way to other, other, other programs that we've tried to utilize to help equip people. That's not what I'm talking about here this morning when I say how... To share the gospel. Because what's very interesting is with all the programs that are out there that may be helpful. Our goal is not the program itself. Our goal is the actual gospel. And, and there's no substitution for any of us uh, for knowing the gospel. For, for having embraced it ourselves. And that meaning that we, we have come to, to, to love, to cherish, to be very passionate about the content of the gospel. Now, if you weren't here last week, last week's message uh, on a gospel testimony really dealt with uh, that content. We're not going to be focusing again on the actual content this morning. But in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we probably have one of the, the best, um, succinct examples of how to share the gospel. Now, we can go throughout the Bible and we can pull verses from here and there with the content. You would go to the Romans Road, uh, things like that. But... The question is, when we're talking about how, it's not just what we say. It's it's more than that. It's it's how do we do this? As those who profess the gospel, as those who who embrace it and know that it is our calling in life to to be a, a testimony of that gospel wherever we may go. How is it that we're supposed to do that? And I think 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, gives us a really good example. But before we read that, let me kind of bring us up to speed. Uh, as Paul writes this letter to this 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 infant church, and these were relatively new believers, uh, and so very somewhat immature believers, we could say. He, he began, and we looked at it several weeks ago, about giving thanks to God. Now, he's still actually dealing with that thanksgiving as we get into chapter 2. But we saw that his reason for giving thanks was ultimately twofold. And the first week we saw that he gave thanks to God because of his confidence that they belonged to God. And that was based first on the actual message itself. The word of God and the way in which it came to them. But Then last week we saw that he was thankful to God not only because of his confidence uh, of their salvation because of the message of the gospel. But also because of the testimony, the lives that they, they lived. That he could see in their lives that the gospel had truly taken root and had in fact changed their lives. And, and understand that that, that that doesn't waver either. The gospel always changes a life. There's not one situation where, where a person uh, follows God and their life doesn't change and another person who follows God and their life changed. No, that doesn't change. The gospel is a life-changing message. And those who embrace the gospel experience, whether they, they're prepared for it or not, they experience a great life change. And, and you probably, I pray, you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you, maybe not so much unprepared. For me, it was when I was saved, uh, I can remember, I didn't know anything about Christianity. I didn't understand what it was supposed to be about. But I remember uh, just little things like the music I listened to. It suddenly began to bother me. And I didn't know why. Nobody said, you shouldn't listen to that music. It just began to, to conflict with the message of the gospel. And though I was still learning, it, it, it was unexpected. But it changed my life. And not because somebody said to me, it had better change your life, but because that's what the gospel does. And that's what it did in the lives of the Thessalonians. It changed their lives, and it was evident in their lives as we saw the testimony that they lived out as they proclaimed the message, both in word and in action. And we saw at the end of last week that, that the way that they lived at their testimonies testified not of themselves, but of the content of the gospel at the end of chapter 1. We saw that it, it testified of repentance Uh, turning away from sin and turning toward the living and true God we saw that it it compelled them to serve that living and true God it it testified of the risen Savior and of the wrath of God, the wrath that was coming that he delivers us from because that's what we deserve is the wrath of God because of our sinfulness so this week what Paul does is now he he reaches back to a statement he made in chapter 1 and he said that in chapter, I believe in verse 5, he, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full of conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And then in verse 6, he continues and says, you became imitators of us and the Lord. How? Because you received the word of God in much affliction. Now, in chapter 2, what he does is he expounds or he expands on this concept of how they imitated him and what his ministry and life Looked like, and in so doing, what he does is he helps us to see how it is that we, as followers of Christ, are to also share uh, this message, this this life changing gospel uh, with those around us. So read with me, uh, chapter two, verses one through twelve. Paul writes, "For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness." In our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who test our hearts For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed. God is is witness, nor did we seek glory from you, whether from or glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, uh, we became gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteously and blamelessly was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you so much for the message of the gospel. We thank you that it's not merely a message that's written on page many years ago and that's where it stopped but that it's alive and well today and as we read these living words that it thrives within our hearts and so this morning we pray uh, lord that the gospel would be um, newly excited within us uh, for it is easy for us lord to think of this as a as a message for for the person who's lost and nothing more than that remind us this morning that the gospel is for us now, those of us who profess this gospel, this is something we celebrate each and every moment of our lives. And so, God, I pray this morning it would, it would come alive within our hearts as we discuss how it is that we are to, to proclaim and share this gospel with those around us. And, and Lord, as always, it is our prayer that uh, if there's those here who have yet to come to embrace the gospel message, to receive it, and to respond to repentance and faith. We pray Lord that you would minister in their hearts this morning. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And that you would uh, effect a radical change in their hearts as well. And so Father help us now. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds. That, that Lord we, we would uh, be able to hear. Not merely the words of men, But the word of God. And Lord that, that we would be able to understand it. And then, Lord that we would embrace it with our hearts. And that it would thrill us. And change us as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There have been many, many attempts. By you probably. By me. By many other people. About how we can cause people or help people want to share the gospel more. This is seems for some reason uh, to be a struggle within the church. And shamefully so. Because this is not something that we should have to continually and and. and labor on not the aspect of the actual sharing but the aspect of getting people to share the gospel this is something that should exude from within us it should not be something that we have to you know kind of go oh man I guess I got to do this and let's face it some of us approach it that way don't we you know the gospel man I'm supposed to share the gospel because I'm a Christian so uh, I better go find somebody to share the gospel that's kind of the way we see the gospel presentation sometimes and when we do, what happens is we see the gospel presentation as almost like a sales pitch. I don't know if there's any salesman in here. I am not a salesman. And people have at times likened me to that and said, well, you know, you're a preacher. You're, you're kind of like a salesman. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not a salesman because here's the difference. A salesman comes up with a pitch. He takes a product and he finds the things within that product that he wants that are most appealing to you. And he doesn't necessarily talk about everything, but he just tries to make it look like you... You can't live without it, right? Now you say, well, that yeah, it sounds like the gospel. Well, except for, here's the thing. With the gospel, I don't have to dress it up. I don't have to add to it. I don't have to do anything about it. All I have to do is hold it out. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference. And so when we approach it like a sales pitch, man, then we kind of feel like I feel when somebody says, hey, you know, uh, will you sell this? Because I hate that. I worked short-term uh, uh, at one point trying to, to sell a product, and I'm terrible at it. I, I, I'm too, I don't know, I almost convince people they don't need it by the time I'm over, <laughs> because I, I'm afraid that I might I might disappoint them in the end. And so I'm like, well, you know, but it's not this, the case with the gospel. I don't have to, to dress it up. I don't have to make something out of it in order for it to be worthy of being shared. All you have to do, all I have to do is be faithful to, to hold forth the word. And so as we look to what Paul outlines for us here. As he's just sharing his ministry with us. We see very clearly. The things that come into play. When we talk about sharing the gospel. With those around us. It doesn't mean that we have to go out. On, on a Tuesday night and, and knock on doors. Now that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we won't find a, a really good example of that in the Bible. But what we will find in the Bible. Is a lifestyle. Living life in such a way. That others hear that message, and guess what? When they do, people respond. That's not up to you. That's not up to me. That's up to the power of God. So, as we walk through Paul's testimony, you could say, of his ministry, we see several things that we could apply to this concept of how to share the gospel. And the first thing I would say is that Paul helps us to to see that we are to share the gospel uh, in all circumstances. Now, he doesn't exactly say that, but what he does tell us is that he came to Thessalonica in the midst of the most extreme circumstances, right? Uh, as bad as it could be. If you go back and read the story, what happened in Philippi, even what happened in Thessalonica, you can see that these were not the best of circumstances to share the gospel uh, with people. It was at great risk to him and to those who would profess the faith as well. And, and so... I, when I read that, I understand that there is not a perfect circumstance to share the gospel. You know, we tend to look for that, right? We, we tend to think that that people will, will maybe be more receptive of the gospel uh, in grief, right? We tend to, as human beings, we tend to think that, and, and sometimes that is true. It's not always true. But sometimes we we kind of uh, uh, play on those moments in thinking that people would, would receive it more when they're in grief. Maybe we would think that, you know, maybe when if people would see that, uh, the gospel might make their lives better, physically speaking. That then maybe that's the time to share the gospel because they might better respond. And the reality is maybe yes, maybe no. None of us can say that. The the bottom line is that the gospel is a message for all circumstances. It's a message that that we need to approach and understand needs to be shared in the midst of uh, of times of joy in life. Uh, And sometimes it's the joy in our lives and others' lives that may best magnify the content of the gospel. Sometimes it's in the midst of great horrific grief that the gospel may be magnified to other people. We don't get to determine that. What we need to understand is... How we share the gospel is at all times, in all circumstances. We are not to just look for some particular time that might best be the case. Sometimes we might say, well, the best way for us to share the gospel is to go out here and try to get a bunch of people here on Sunday morning. Well, that's one way, but that doesn't mean it's the best way. matter of fact, I would say it's probably not the best way. Uh, I would argue for another way. Now, that doesn't mean, man, bring them all in. We'll preach the gospel to them. Uh, but that doesn't mean that's the best way, uh, and we don't necessarily need to focus on one particular way. In fact, again, Paul's going to help us understand as we see through this that there's there's a much greater way when we think about how to share a gospel. But I do believe that we can see that it's a message that should be shared at all times in all circumstances, even in the most extreme of circumstances, when it might not look like it's not the best time. Well... In verses 3 through 6, we find a a very pointed aspect of how we share the gospel. And maybe something that would challenge how you and I think at times. Because Paul says, basically, that there's a particular reason for why we share the gospel. Now, if I ask most people, uh, and and maybe even you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, you know, why do you share the gospel? Most of us would say, and I'm not saying this is a bad answer, but most of us would say, so that people will come to Christ. Right? Right? That would sound like the most natural answer. And and it's not a wrong answer, but it's not the primary answer. Look what Paul says. His focus in sharing the gospel, verses 3 through 6, is not necessarily the audience itself. Though that's going to come in play, and we'll see that in a moment. But his primary purpose is for the glory of God. Right? Right? What does he say? He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Bottom line, why do we proclaim the gospel of God in order to bring glory to God? Now, there's a great benefit in that, which is where most of us tend to think. And we're going to see that as we move on. But in the midst of this statement, when he says, We share the gospel not to please man, but to please God. Uh, right before that and right after that, he focuses on two different aspects or issues that come into play when we think about sharing the gospel. And, and in verse 3 is the first thing. He kind of focused on the, on the uh, uh, manipulation, kind of the self-serving aspect of, the, uh, of, of, of a message. When we talk to people, when we tell people about stuff... Let's be honest, most of the time, you know, we're the ones that want to hear ourselves talk, right? You know, we talk and tell people stories, not necessarily because they want to hear them, but because we like to talk. So, there's usually some selfishness involved in our communication. But when we're talking about the gospel, what Paul is saying that, you know, my main goal, my main purpose is God's glory and God's glory alone. You see, because my appeal, notice this, my appeal to others concerning the gospel does not come from or come within this is the inward aspect from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive then those three concepts are really one concept there's not a a desire his purpose in the gospel proclamation is not necessarily uh, to manipulate anybody and we have to be careful about that as human beings don't we because you know it's a natural thing for us to try to if we have a goal if our goal is to get a response then we can be We can dangerously, even without realizing, begin to manipulate the gospel in order that we might get the response that we want. A lot of people do that today, don't they? I mean, how many times, and maybe we've been guilty of saying this at some point or another in some way, but others are just outright out there saying it straightforward. If you come to Christ, your life will get better. If you come to Christ, your life will get better. Now... I'm sure there's many testimonies in here you could say, man, when I came to Christ, man, everything changed and it's been awesome. And I don't doubt that. I absolutely would say that in the midst of my experience of the gospel, good and bad, uh, as a Christian, my life has been awesome. But that's not necessarily what lost people hear. They think of money, uh, 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 entertainment, things like that. So if you come to Christ, is our life going to be better? Well, maybe not. What's going to happen? Well, they're probably going to give They end up giving up a lot of things, right? Uh, In fact, uh, it could cause them difficulty financially, right? Some people, uh, I was working a job when I became a Christian that I didn't feel I could continue working. And so I had to quit my job. Uh, Some people could have to do that. Uh, Some people may face great deal persecution because of Christ. So. To, to appeal to somebody, to manipulate, is not the way to get them to respond. It's not our job to do that, merely to present the message. And Paul tells us this is how you do it. You don't do it out of error, impurity, or any attempt to deceive. Do not manipulate the message to get a particular response. Again, the focus is because we share the gospel ultimately for God's glory. What, is, what do we mean when we say God's glory? God's glory. That's one of those words, right? That we kind of go, glory. What is glory? We think of a bright light, right? Behind the head. There's glory. Well, ultimately, if you read the Old Testament, every time it speaks of God's glory, ultimately what it's saying is that God's fame would go out to the ends of the earth. That's God's glory. That's his fame. Uh, in every nation, that is his glory. And so our, our goal in presenting the gospel is proclaiming the name of Christ that it might go forth. To every nation. That's God's glory. And so when we're speaking the gospel, it's not about getting any particular thing from it, but merely proclaiming the message. And when we do, God will do what only he can do. But on the other side of that, after mentioning his main purpose of pleasing God rather than man, he adds another threefold example. He says, "...for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others." And this is the other side. The first side of it was merely selfishness, self-centeredness, manipulating to get what we think we want out of it. This is more of a tangible aspect of of sharing the gospel so that that we might have people think, wow, they're really cool. They're flattered by us. We do it in such a way to impress people. Uh, We talk down to people. Ever done that? We sometimes think of unbelievers as less than, don't we? And we begin to look down our nose at them as though they're foolish uh, in that sense. And Paul says, we didn't come with words of flattery, or looking down at you. We didn't come with a pretext for greed to get something tangible for ourselves. Nor did we seek our own glory so that you would run around talking about the preacher. That's glory. Projecting fame, right? So Paul didn't come so that the world would be going, hey, check out Paul. He came for the glory of God. So he didn't seek to manipulate people. To get what he thought he wanted out of it. Nor did he seek to impress people. So that they would think much of him. But rather he served or he sought. To proclaim the message in such a way. That God remained at the center. And God was the glory. That God's name would be proclaimed. And so we share the gospel. Or the way in which we share the gospel. Is in such a way that we pursue the pleasure of God. To please him. Then the next Paul speaks in the end of chapters or verse 6 to verse 9, that another way we share the gospel, and this is intrinsic in the gospel, is sacrificially. He says, though we could, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives also. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God to you. Now, that's a lot of words, but Paul's pretty much saying the same thing, isn't he? Now, see, we often think merely of the gospel as this message. If we can go out here, and we can tell people that, you know, they're sinners, and the wages of sin is death, and this is all truth, don't get me wrong, right? For all of sin falls short of the glory of God, the the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord, right? right? God committed His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? These are good verses out of the book of Romans. And then what's, what's that great verse that comes in chapter 10? Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. These are great verses, but the gospel is not merely the message itself. Don't misunderstand me. The message stands at the center. We must have the content there. We must share that. But we can't just do that. We can't go merely from door to door to door and tell people those basic statements and and expect a a, a harvest of souls. Now, don't misunderstand me. God has moved and worked in great ways through people who have faithfully knocked on doors. And I bet many of you have spent that time knocking on doors. I was discipled by a man while I rode with him from house to house knocking on doors. So, but what I'm saying is it has to go beyond it. God's design for gospel proclamation was not us meeting up with strangers and sharing a few verses with them and trying to get them to respond. It goes much deeper. It's something that's going to require sacrifice of you in your life. Wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you live, wherever you go to school, it will require sacrifice. And that's exactly what Paul exemplifies for us. This is how he shared the gospel. He had a message. It was, it was a static message. That didn't change. He spoke this message. He proclaimed the gospel that had been entrusted to him. But here's the manner in which he did it. Even though as apostles of Christ. He says we have the authority to, just, to command. Believe, right? Preach it and tell them. You're fools if you don't believe. Right? He he had authority, he says. But instead of usurping any sort of authority, what does he say? But we became gentle among you. Well, what does that mean? Well, he tells us. He gives us an illustration. Like a nursing mother with her own children. Now, that settles home with me because I understand it well. My wife has nursed five kids. I understand the giving of herself, of her time, of her life, even part of her, literally, to nourish our children. And this is the example, the illustration Paul uses of how you and I as believers are to to share the gospel with others in such a way that we invest ourselves in them. And guess what? It will not be convenient. It will cost us something. And if we're trying to share the gospel in some other way, if we're trying to figure it out, how we can share the gospel without actually being inconvenient or costing us something, then I'm not too sure if we're following the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. We've bought into probably something else. The gospel will cost us in some way. Now, fortunately for us, we live in America. And to this point, it hasn't cost us the way it cost Paul. It hasn't cost us the way it's costing believers around the world. But it's still going to cost us something. Because it's the gospel, and and the gospel stands against the world in which we live, and it's going to require our time and our labor and our sacrifice in the same way that a mother nursing her child, if her life revolves around the nurture of that child. And so he says, so just like this mother with her own children, he says, being affectionately desirous of, of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel. There's the message that's important. But also our very lives. Paul was ready to pour himself into people. To, to take time out for them. And then he goes on and ta- gives another example of the fact that you know, they sought to, to present such a great message. Or a, a, the reality of the gospel in such a great way. That they didn't go into town and, and expect the people in the town to, to, to pay for their stay. To take care of them in all the ways that many people that day would have done. But rather they worked and they labored themselves. They, they did what Christ said, right? What did Christ say? I came not to be served, but to serve. And Paul was living that out. So what we see here is what we call the incarnation of the gospel. When we talk about the incarnation, it was the word of God becoming flesh, right? The message became most vivid and most clear when God, who had been speaking for many years to his people, took on human flesh and dwelt right in the midst of people so they could look at him and go, Oh! There it is. That's what it looks like. And guess what? The gospel has not ceased to be an incarnate message. Because now God continues to incarnate the message of the gospel through the body of Christ. And who is that? It's the church. And who is the church? The bricks and mortar that build up this building? No, it's the church building. Who is the church? All who have repented of their sins... And express faith in Jesus Christ. Embrace the word of God. We are the church. And so the gospel is still incarnated in our lives as we seek to corporately and individually live out the gospel to share sacrificially. To invest our lives in other people to the point that it does in fact cost us something. And then finally Paul says that or shows us the way in which we should share the gospel is with integrity. I said finally, this is not finally, I'm sorry. He says you are witnesses in verse 10 of God also how holy and righteously and blamelessly was our conduct towards you believers. So here's the thing, this is pretty simple and you know it. You know, we've talked about already the the verbal and the visual aspect. You know, we can't declare a message that is contrary to the lives we live. And that's what Paul is simply saying, our conduct with you is. Uh, didn't harm the message, but it, it revealed the message. Now, Paul did not say that he was perfect. And that's not what he intends for us to understand, that if we're going to proclaim the gospel message, that we've got to be holy. You know? We've got to look like some, like like the Pope. and We have to always be righteous and blameless. This is the character. This is what should consistently define us. Yes, we're going to sin. Yes, we're going to do stupid things. But guess what? When we do we have another opportunity to display the gospel, don't we? Because what do we do when we sin? We repent, right? And I repent this is an opportunity to display the gospel. Now, I don't do this very well. Maybe at times in my life I've done it better, maybe. But some of the, the greatest opportunities that I, as a father, have had to display the gospel to my children has not been in, in reading scripture or praying with them or trying to sit down and teach them something. Uh, and the same with my wife. But when I disciplined them and I was wrong. You ever done that, Dad? And you know what I had to do? I had to swallow real deep. I had to go with my kids, or one of my whichever situation it was, because there's been many, and say, Dad was wrong. Will you forgive me? That is Providing an illustration, a living illustration of what repentance means. So even when we sin, we have an opportunity to magnify the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong, Romans 6, read that, Romans in Romans 5 and 6, Paul says, So should we just sin more so that so that grace will abound? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. But when we do sin, when we repent, we have an opportunity to display the gospel to the world around us as we seek forgiveness from others, or we go to them and you say, I know you saw me do this, this was wrong. Will you forgive me? We have an opportunity. So Paul wasn't saying we had to be perfect. But our lives had to be consistent with the gospel that we share. And then lastly. Now it's finally. Paul says that we must share the gospel in such a way that it pursues or seeks changed lives. Now. What I said earlier. That the primary reason that we share the gospel is not for a response. That is not the primary reason. Our primary reason is the glory of God. But. Any gospel that is proclaimed that doesn't seek A changed life is not the gospel because the gospel, that's what it does. And Paul finishes up by saying, for, you know, how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel who calls you uh, worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There you have it. So Paul's saying, number one, we exhorted you. What's exhortation? Think about it. That's kind of of a basic statement. This is what you need to do. You need to repent. The Bible says that God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's exhortation. Stating facts, truth. And then it says he encouraged them. That goes beyond just communication, doesn't it? It goes into a a, a compassion, a desire. And so Paul didn't only tell them what they needed to do. Paul, he, he basically said, I really, really hope. That you will listen to this message and that you will think about this message and you will consider it because it's that important. That is encouragement. And then it goes on and says he charged them or implored them or in modern language, he almost begged them. So it goes deeper into the compassionate reality of the gospel. that, that, That Paul so understood the nature of the gospel and the need for the gospel that he understood that anybody who rejects the gospel will suffer that rejection eternally. And so it mattered that much that he would say, please, please don't leave without repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior. Because sometimes there may never be another opportunity and you will pay the consequence for rejecting the gospel for eternity. So there's exhorting, encouraging and imploring or begging And we are called on as those presenting the gospel to make sure that that is a part of our message. So, what does that mean? Well, this morning, as we close, we see, or I hope we see, that sharing the gospel means that we must do it at all times, in all circumstances. Do it primarily and solely for the glory of God. We must do it by investing our lives in others' lives. We must do it by living faithfully for the sake of the gospel. And we must do it laboring and praying for changed lives. And so this morning, it's my prayer, even here. Number one, for those of you who believe, who embrace the gospel, that you would not only embrace the message itself, but you would embrace the reality that you are God's incarnate message of the gospel here and now. Wherever God's placed you, wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play, wherever you go to school, God's desire for you is to magnify the gospel in all things. I pray that that will settle hard on your hearts. And then if you're here this morning and you've never repented of of your sin and believed the gospel, my prayer for you is this. That while I know we haven't labored deeply through the content of the gospel this week, my prayer is that you would pursue the gospel. We're going to sing in just a moment. I'm going to be down here. You can respond. You can come. I can pray with you. There's others here that can do that. We can take more time to talk about the gospel. We don't want to rush through this. And just pursue it. Consider the gospel. Because. Without the gospel, there is no hope. Whether your life is grand right now, that will end. If your life is grievous right now, then the gospel is needful in both situations, in all situations. You need the gospel, and my prayer for you is that you will repent of your sin and run to the cross. Our Father, this morning, our prayer is that you would do the work that only you can do in our lives. As a messenger, Lord, I attempt to be faithful to the word with great fault, but with great hope that the power of the Holy Spirit supersedes uh, my inabilities. And so this morning is my prayer that you would work in the hearts of your people. Compel us to be more passionate about the gospel, Lord. As we profess to believe it, I pray that it would be evident in every aspect of our lives, that it would excite us, that we would we would want the world to know that Jesus saves. And Father, for those who may very well be here this morning, young or old, that have never really considered the weight of the gospel, I pray, Lord, that you would you would call them in these moments and in moments beyond now to to recognize the importance of. Of considering this message. And that we are sinners. And there is a consequence to our sin. But that you took sin upon yourself. So that we might know the righteousness of Christ. Forever. Father I pray. That you would work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing number 482 this morning. And as we sing, as I've seen.